tremendous worship time of singing together. And uh, have a good Sunday school class, you kids. And I hope those swords are plowshares when you come back. Uh, <laughs> they're off to do some more construction. Let's uh, bow for a moment and, uh, and, and give uh, um, a moment for the Lord to quiet our hearts. Father, we are uh, indeed uh, blessed to be in your presence, in the presence of that Holy One that we've just been praising this morning. We pray that you would guide and direct our time and uh, direct our thoughts, help us to understand uh, more of your word, help us to make it personal in our lives and help us to uh, share it with the world around. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I'm speaking to the old ones now, the ones that are over 50 at least, and when you see this guy up here, you'll remember, for those of us who were that age, uh, the show called The A-Team, right? Uh, it was an old popular TV show in the 80s. And the, the, the main character would always say sometime during the show, I love it when a plan comes together. And uh, these guys, uh, uh, this team would have some audacious plans that were uh, um, always full of surprises, unexpected things would happen. And, and it would always work out in the end. It always would come together. Um, and then the, the, sometime this guy would say, I love it when the plan comes together. We are looking today at the, the final verses of the uh, chapter 53 of Isaiah, which is the last of the servant songs that we've been going through in Isaiah. And we've been taking a special time to go through that last one um, in, a, in a number of messages. So we have only three verses to cover, but it's an amazing amount of, of material that arises from studying that to, together. Uh, let's take a moment. I'll just read the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Oh, as we were preparing for this, I, I see quite a variety of different translation words used in this, uh, in this passage. And, and, and I think that speaks to the difficulty sometimes of translating poetry, which this is. Uh, also, the Hebrew is not clear, and that's often a poet's choice, right? Words which are, have a multiple level of meaning. So, and so it, it's awfully hard sometimes to put into English. Sometimes it's uh, difficult. And even, by the way, if you can read Hebrew, it's still difficult. Uh, I was listening to one guy's testimony, and he said, I, he, and he's a Jewish fellow who speaks Hebrew, that I never understood Psalm 50, or Isaiah 53 until I read it in English, he said. <laughs> so, I don't know what that says, but here's one translation of, the, of this passage. But it was the Lord's good plan, and that's where I take my word, a plan that comes together. All of a sudden we see, hey, this is a plan. It was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many 
and he interceded for the rebels. So, Isaiah 53, it's part of God's plan we find out from reading those verses. It is also audacious, a very bold plan. It's uh, surprising because we find out that the, the plan involves suffering and anguish, which doesn't seem to be a, a great plan, but that's what involves. And it's somewhat mysterious in that we, what is going on in Isaiah 53? What, are, what is the prophet talking about? How did he write this poem and what is he trying to tell us? Now, if you back up a few centuries and read this at the time that uh, Jesus was living or just before then in that time, you know, a few hundred years after Isaiah was penned, and you're scratching your head, what is he talking about? Who is this servant that he is speaking of? And there were discussions, I'm sure, in the temple, in the synagogues, and uh, whenever this passage was read, people would say, like, well, it could be this could be this. And, and we still have that discussion going on. because the, As Dave mentioned in his talk on this passage, the Jewish people often still think of the, this servant as the, the nation of Israel, the people of God. And, uh, and that was one of the interpretations back in those second temple period, the temple of Zerubbabel and Herod built onto it, and that was called the second temple period. They had these discussions and some of the writers uh, of the commentaries then said, yeah, it could be the national fulfillment of this. Others were writing, this could be the Messiah. And, uh, and still, you know, so we had this broad sort of head-scratching debate about who this could be or discussions. And I don't think anybody saw it coming as, as what it really was going to be. And I say that because, you know, even the followers of Jesus, right after all the things happened to Jesus in, in Jerusalem, those two guys coming back to Emmaus, were saying, we thought he was the Messiah, but he's dead now. And then he, they were joined by Jesus. They didn't recognize him. And he, he says, why are you so downcast, you guys? And he said, well, don't you know what happened? We had this high hopes for this one Jesus, but they killed him. And now we're despondent. And then the person that joined them in their walk started to take them to the scriptures and teach them how all these things must be accomplished and what the scriptures said about Jesus, about the Messiah, would be fulfilled. And I'm sure they hit this passage. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I am absolutely convinced that Jesus took them to these verses and showed them these verses. And, uh, you know, when they got to their home and they, and they started to give thanks for the food, then they realized who they were with and then Jesus left them. And, and then they couldn't hold back their joy. So they didn't get it until Jesus explained it to them. And I think the majority of people had that same, we don't really know what this topic's about, but we have their... A benefit of, of hindsight, and we can look back and see how it so well fits with the life of Jesus. It's a, it's like a road sign to those people, like you know, like okay, there's a signpost. The prophet has presented this sign. Uh, you can see the signpost, but we can't yet see what's coming down the road, and we don't know which direction it's going to go, right? But the road sign gives us some clues. To be looking, and that's what the prophet was trying to tell people. Be watchful. But even then, you know, it's, it's hard to, to understand from their perspective, but it's much more clear now. Many of you have seen this illustration. How does it show up there? What's the first thing you see on there? A young woman or an old woman? How many see the young woman? How many see the old woman? Yeah. How many can see both? 
Can you miss it? Can you see where the uh, having trouble? <laughs> so, where's the? So, if you pay, take this to be the eye and this to be the ear and this to be the chin and this is the neck, then it's a young woman, right? But if you say this is the eye and this is the other eye and this is a, a very crooked nose and a sort of a pointing out chin, then it becomes an old woman, right? So. We can't, even when we're looking at something, we don't always see it as obvious first off. And that, that's how you sort of see this chapter. We, we take a look at it and we see one thing, but then we can study it and we can see, see it in a different perspective. And that's how uh, I think the, uh, the early church members had to take another look at this. Oh, I can see Jesus now. And it's obvious to us. Before it wasn't so obvious. So remember this, uh, this story about Philip, the evangelist, and how he talked to an, a fellow from Ethiopia. And uh, the story is really neat in Acts chapter 8 if you want to go there. But basically, Philip was told to go join this person who was traveling along. This person, this Ethiopian guy, was, was reading from the Isaiah, scroll of Isaiah. Now, there weren't that many scrolls in those days. There wasn't like Bibles everywhere, right? So they, they had them in the synagogue and they kept them in a special place. But there wasn't one on every in every hotel room. There, there just wasn't Joe. Where's the, where's the Gideons back then? <laughs> but so this guy had a scroll of Isaiah. I think he had some money because that would have cost a lot to make a copy of Isaiah's scroll. But he was reading aloud. Now, how many of you read scripture aloud when you're traveling along? I mean, if you're if you have a driver, you can do that. Don't do it when you're driving, though, right? So. But he had a driver, I think, and he was reading the, the passage in Isaiah that actually was Isaiah 53. And he was reading, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep silent before its shears. He did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in, in midstream. Philip heard him reading that and said to him, do you understand what you're reading? And uh, the Ethiopian said, how can I understand it unless there's someone to explain it to me? Was, was, the, was the prophet talking about himself or was he talking about somebody else? And so back those days, it was a question. Who was this servant? And, and then Philip started at that passage and explained the, the, through the scriptures and, and spoke and taught Jesus to that Ethiopian. And the Ethiopian became convinced of, of the uh, truth of Isaiah 53 is applied to Jesus and then gave his life to Christ, it seems, and went on his way rejoicing. One other piece of evidence that confirms that this passage is referring to Jesus, that the servant is Jesus, is Jesus' own words himself. And at the end of the, uh, the uh, upper room discourse where they had the Last Supper, where they celebrated that, and uh, Jesus had given them that uh, that means of remembering him. At the very end of that time, he says, for time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. He was counted among the rebels. Yes, everything written about me by the prophets will come true. Did you get it? I've highlighted it a bit there in the bold and darker letters. That is exactly the words that we just read from Isaiah 53, verse 12. Jesus himself, according to Luke's account, took these words to be written about him. So I think we have pretty good evidence that, that uh, the scriptures attest to the fact that the servant, the identity of the servant is none other than, than Jesus himself. 
But the disciples originally had trouble making that connection, so it's not that hard, to, difficult to understand why that could be. So we have the, the identity of the servant, but what's the character of the servant? In this, this few verses, we have one of the characteristics of the servant revealed to us, and that he said he was a righteous servant. Uh, my servant, my righteous servant, in, in verse 11. This is a, a, an important bit of information for us. Uh, it kind of ties into our present lives and our future lives. And what does it mean to call someone righteous? We, when we hear that word, usually think uh, of being morally right, of keeping some set of standards. That's what it means to be righteous. But it really that meaning, meaning developed later with the, in the history of the concept. And back in Isaiah's day, apparently, and I'm going to get a bit technical here because I didn't live in Isaiah's day, so I had to get some help. I went to the uh, International Standard Bible Encyclopedia and read something about righteousness. Now, I, I chose this, this encyclopedia a long time ago. I was in Harmony House. Mrs. D was there. I said, which encyclopedia should I buy? She says, well, I like this set. And, she, and I said, oh, why do you like that? Because Terry Donaldson was a contributor to this set. <laughs> oh, okay. That must be a good set to buy. <laughs> so that's the encyclopedia that I still use this day in Bible Encyclopedia. But in that encyclopedia, we, we, learn, we read this. In the Old Testament, righteousness involves the fulfillment of the demands of a relationship either with God or with other human beings. Although the Old Testament usually has the covenant with Yahweh in view, it does not normally indicate behavior in accordance to some norm external to a covenant, nor does it indicate an abstract legal concept of justice. Well, wait a minute. That's not the way I understand righteousness. There's something different here that's going on. Wait, you're telling me that righteousness is, is a, a relationship? It's something to do with loyalty to that relationship? And it's not so much, uh, you know, A, B, C, D, don't do this, do that, and things like that? Yeah, that's what it means. And then when a person fulfills the obligation of a relationship, that person is said to be righteous. So that's a quote from that encyclopedia. So I found that to be interesting and some of my other reading has sort of led me to, to this sort of view as well of that we, have, we need to expand our ideas of what righteousness is. It does include a moral characteristic too. And it certainly includes keeping the, the concepts of the covenant, whatever that, whatever that contract was uh, that we have, that there are things in there that we need to do. But the, the whole idea of righteousness is to be in right relationship with the person who you have the relationship or want to have a relationship with. I suppose uh, we could think of it in a marriage. Uh, if you think of marriage as a covenant, you, you made your vows at the, up at the church, if, for those of you who are married, or wherever you made your vows, and you made some promises. One of the promises you was made was to be faithful. So if you break that, faithfulness, then you've ruptured the covenant, right? You've broken the, the relationship. Now, it's not so much that the, 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 the relationship depended on you fulfilling each of these things, A, B, C, D, you know, I have to do each of these things. But the basis is that you have to fulfill those, those ideas of the covenant to, to maintain the relationship. If you don't, the relationship is busted and broken. So if you are faithful in marriage, you can say you ha you're righteous. 
to your spouse, in a sense. You have that righteousness in that you're maintaining your marriage covenant. Another maybe helpful way to look at righteousness, this is some pictures we took when we were in uh, Amsterdam, while we were in Harlem, in Holland earlier this spring. Got to enjoy seeing the tulips. But in Harlem, there's this house, and that house is where the Ten Boom family live. You may have heard about Corey Ten Boom and her book that she wrote about the hiding place. I don't know if you can see it, but this little closet here is, a, is in one of these upper rooms of this house. And through there, there's a little crawl space. You can get underneath it and then a board comes down. So what Corey and her family did was hide Jewish people during World War II so that they would try and keep them safe from Nazi persecution and, and torture and worse. And uh, so they had people, when the, when the Germans would come, they would rush up here and get into their cubbyhole and hide in the hiding place. And the story is, is ripping, and you can read Corey's story, but they suffered because of that. Now, Corey and everybody else that, that uh, was non-Jewish that hid Jews, the, the, the nation of Israel has honored them by calling them the righteous among the nations, or the righteous Gentiles. What do you think they mean by righteous? That, that these people, including Oscar Schindler, is on that list. Do you think they did everything right in their lives? They, they weren't perfect people. But they had a relationship with the Jewish people. They were loyal to the Jewish people. They had a covenant that they protected the Jewish people and tried to save them from that time of persecution. So they were called, and they are called, righteous in that sense. So they're, they're, they have a right relationship. There are, there are approximately 27,000 names on that list, and you can see it if you go to Jerusalem and, and, and see that monument that's there to the righteous among the nations. So that's another clue that we have of what righteousness means. Isaiah 53 calls the servant righteousness, and as a result of his completion of the plan, it will be possible for many to be counted righteousness. Counted righteous, we read. So, why is Jesus called righteous? And how is it possible that he can make many other people to be righteous? So, we have to go sort of back through the story of, of God and his dealing with people. And we don't really have time to do that. But suffice it to say that God had Adam and Eve and he called them to be his image bearers, to be his representatives in that garden, to be the people that would, would take what he wanted to do and, and, and work it in the world so that the world would be improved and, and governed by his co-regents or those people under him. They weren't able to do that. They, they, they switched allegiance. They didn't follow God. They broke that relationship. They weren't righteous. They decided to follow their own way and the suggestion of the tempter. God restarted with Abraham. He said, I'm going to make you a great nation and all the peoples of the world are going to be blessed through you. And uh, Abraham believed God. And God said, you're righteous because you have faith in my plan. The nation developed. The nation was to be God's representative to the world and to show the world what it was like to be God's people and to do the things God wanted. They too chose not to follow God. They chose their own way. They gave their allegiance to other idols, other gods. They pursued their own ways. They were broken. Now we come to Isaiah's time. People are still broken. They need a, a, 
someone to rescue them from their brokenness. And the plan is, revealed through Isaiah, that God himself is going to provide the rescuer. And it's going to be one that's righteous in that he's going to return that relationship back to what it should be. He is going to take the place of the unrighteous and bear their unrighteousness in his righteous life. And he's going to restore that relationship. So with his work, this servant is going to fix the problem of this broken relationship. And he's going to be God himself working in that way. Now we're starting to see sort of the results of the plan. This plan that God had crafted and put together and has revealing a little bit ahead of time in Isaiah's prophecy is going to come together and there are going to be a number of consequences related to that plan. The fir- that first one we already mentioned, that, that we are, it's going to be possible for people everywhere, and this is going to include the Jews, the Gentiles, all people, it's going to be possible for us to be counted as righteous. We're going to have that renewed relationship. We're going to be able to be the image bearers of God. We're going to be able to go forth and be the people he wants us to be and work to make, that, uh, make the changes that he wants to see. How is that going to happen? How can, we, how can we get that righteous standing before God? Well, Paul had a lot to say about it, and many of the New Testament writers have something to say. But here's just some verses from Romans chapter 3, which the Apostle Paul wrote, and, and sort of gives us a, a taste, and you expand re, study on this for a, a long time, believe me. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God, which is tested by the law and the prophets, has been disclosed. Namely, the righteousness of God through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ for all who believe. For we consider that a person is declared righteous by faith apart from the works of the law. So through this work that Jesus did, his faithfulness and his covenant loyalty to the, to the people of the world, he was made it possible by having faith in what he has done, by placing that Faith in that, to be called righteous, just as Abraham was declared righteous because he believed and trusted in God, what God said, so too can people today come to be called righteous by placing their faith and trust in this, in this faithful, righteous servant. So we can now resume uh, what we were intended to be all along, God's people in God's world. We can work to reshape the world and, and, uh, and enjoy his presence here. We can do the right things, which is what we often think of as righteousness, and which comes from that right relationship. But the right things also include things like working for justice and peace and freedom from oppression and care for others. And if you read on in Isaiah, you get to chapter 58, and he says, these are the things that, that I think is, a, is a, what makes fasting. You know, you can read that in Isaiah 53, but... Those are the things that he wants to see in our lives. Um, not so much a check, right, checklist of don't do this, do this, don't do that, don't do this, but restored relationship brings these right choices in our lives. I'd like us to read a little bit what Peter wrote to, in his letter um, about this, this plan coming together as well. Because I think it so fits with what, uh, what our role is now as uh, righteous people. 
In 1 Peter we read, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Well, wait a minute. So we have to, the, the one who suffered, we are to call to follow that one. And, and Jesus told us that. He said, if anyone wants to come after me, he must take, deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example and you must follow in his steps. And then the verses that follow are pretty much taken from Isaiah 53 with some Peter's uh, added or somebody else added some side comments. But here, listen to this and how familiar it sounds. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your soul. So the consequences of the plan, we can be counted as righteous, but we have, in doing that, we have a, an obligation and responsibility of following the one who, who paid the price. What are some other consequences of uh, the plan? What else has happened as a result? We read in, in the, these passages, in this, these few verses. Well, God's blessing is evident in the plan. He will have many descendants. He will have a long life. Wait, I thought he was killed. You know, like, how can he have a long life and be dead? Well, isn't that interesting that, that people understood when Jesus was alive again that that perfectly fits with his life. He died but he is alive. Have you noticed the verses, verse, verb tenses in this uh, uh, servant song, by the way? You know, he was wounded, he was beaten, he, by his stripes we are, were healed. It, they're all past tense, right? Until you get to these verses, and they become future tense. He will have many descendants. He will have a long life. My servant has a bright future. Why did, why did the, you know, like, okay, you're a prophet. It should be all in future tense, right? We, you know, he will be abused. He will be beaten. No, Isaiah put that in the past verb senses. But now this section he puts in the future, like it's going to be, yeah, well, it's the ongoing effectiveness of the plan. It's the plan took place, it happened, it was accomplished, and it has these continuing consequences as a result. And one of them is God's blessing for the servant and these ideas of a long life and many descendants really speak in that culture to prosperity, to, the, to the, the blessing of the one who was faithful. The one who is faithful is, is going to be blessed. And we hear the voice from heaven in, in the gospel saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. He was blessed by his father. It says too that uh, he will have satisfaction when he's reviewing what he's what is accomplished. The servant will be satisfied, and we read in Hebrews that Jesus had the joy set before him and endured the cross. He will be satisfied by what he has accomplished, and he will receive glory and honor and uh, great uh, praise. We just have to turn to Philippians two to read about how every knee will bend and before him and every tongue confess him to be Lord, which, by the way, is a quote from Isaiah. Uh, but that will be the case. But also, let's just look at uh, the great verses in Revelation that John the Revelator wrote about the Lamb. 
And it so fits with what we read in Isaiah 53. Revelation 5.9 You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God and they will reign on the earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Those of you who sing this Messiah, you can join in right now. (laughs) It's such a tremendous song. Blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Did you hear Isaiah 53 in those verses? I did, anyway. I could hear the, the prophet speaking and the, the accomplishment of the servant being sung together around the, the great and glorious throne. And even as we live today, we can sing these songs as we do when we sing the Messiah. We can sing and praise to the one who, who came and uh, laid his life out for that audacious, bold, surprising plan that all came together through him. I'm going to ask the... Uh, team to come back and I think the last song fits nicely with that uh, end passage so we'll have them sing it this time Lord we indeed are thankful for this one who took on us all our sins and bore them who interceded for the rebels we thank you for that he successfully completed the plan that was laid out for him worthy is your name, Lord. And we join with all the others around the world this day, rejoicing and singing praise to him and thanking him for his great gift. Amen.